course, is uh, the 4th of July coming up. And uh, last night I walked outside of my home about 8 o'clock and I could literally smell fireworks in the air. I felt like Patton, who loved the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, it just felt like... A few years ago, many years ago, I took a youth group to a uh, local water park establishment on the 4th of July weekend. Um, That was a problem. Sort of like uh, if you go to Walmart without your shirt on, that's kind of like what um, that was like. It's like raw humanity um, and all of its glory. But um, like every church probably everywhere today, the topic is freedom. And I think you have to. You have to talk about freedom on July 4th weekend. It's a good thing to talk about. It's one of our great privileges we get to preach about, isn't it? that the church of Jesus offers the ultimate freedom for people's lives. So, of course, it's great to be able to talk about that today. And we're going to be looking at the book of Romans throughout July and August. And Paul has a lot to say about freedom and the essence of freedom, spiritual freedom. And many people today talk a lot about freedom, as well they should. Uh, We can talk about um, national freedom, if a country is trying to be be emancipated somehow, We can talk about civil freedom, uh, civil liberties, civil rights, even economic freedom, trying to be free from poverty or oppression of some kind, unemployment. But all of those freedoms are really hearkening to a deeper freedom that's intrinsic in all people, no matter where we come from or who we are or what we believe. People are ultimately hungering for spiritual freedom. And the Bible actually gives very specific ways we can find that freedom. Now, all those people that are campaigning for all the freedoms I just mentioned, they are, deep down, it's coming from, they're really addressing the symptom instead of the, 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 the deepest you know, disease, if you will, uh, because really everyone feels a sense of a need for freedom, but maybe some people can't quite th- put their finger on it, that we, we instinctively, you know, feel the chains of sin. If you go to a funeral, even if you're not a religious person, you know it's just not right. You know death doesn't feel normal. It's not normative. We know it's not how it's supposed to be. We know that there's something there that's off, but some people can't quantify what that is. Well, of course, Christianity has the answer for that. We'll tell you what it is. And so, but what people do is they tend to um, pursue other types of fr- freedom outside of the original one, which is spiritual freedom, which is really forgiveness of sin and having a, eternal life, or a resurrection power of Christ in your life. And secondly, the word freedom is a great Christian word, really. Uh, Jesus is, is shown as the great liberator uh, throughout the New Testament. His first sermon he ever preached, uh, he quotes Isaiah 61, where He's quoting, he has come to proclaim release to the captives, set liberty to the oppressed. Later in his ministry, he would say, he would refer to himself, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The Apostle Paul appealed to the Galatians in the New Testament, it, telling them, stand firm in the liberty with which Christ has given you. And those words still ring true today for us, don't they? Stand true in the freedom and the liberty that Christ has done for you. Now, some people today might find the word salvation sort of embarrassing or exclusionary in some capacity. But you really could take the word freedom as a synonym for salvation. You could really 
put it right over the top of salvation and you still get the same idea that to be saved by Jesus is to be set free, amen? To be saved by Jesus is to be set free. And so ultimately the forgiveness of sin, which Paul's gonna talk about in a minute, um, is ultimately how we find spiritual freedom. Now forgiveness in Christ, I always like saying this because it's revolutionary for somebody, forgiveness in Jesus that you receive for yourself, it will not change your past, but it will change your future, right? The past is the past. It's gone. And it, but it, it, even, even though the grace of God can still change how you remember things too, but um, the forgiveness of God will change your future. The forgiven man, the forgiven woman by God is truly free. Those are the truly free people who walk on the face of the earth. The unforgiven person is not free. There are millions and millions of people out there pushing for all sorts of other freedoms. That might be very well and good, but they're missing the mark, ironically, as sinners, missing the mark of the most important freedom, which is freedom of forgiveness of sin. That you can live in the land of liberty, in the land of freedom, and be a slave to sin. So what do we need freedom from? Obviously, sin is the main answer, that we need freedom from sin and death, spiritual death. We've talked about this before, but for anybody in the room that doesn't know, sin is that you know what you ought to do, but you don't do it. That we essentially um, know we break the moral law of God in our hearts. And so we miss the mark, if you will. And so when we sin, when people sin, it's all people, we, there's lots of reasons why we shouldn't do it. One is when we sin, we sin against ourselves. Secondly, we could sin against other people, right? We could hurt them. We could hurt situations around us. We could cause chaos and dysfunction. But thirdly, sin is so horrible because when we sin, theologically speaking, we sin against God. That's the ultimate offense, that we we do sin against a holy God. And if that sin is not atoned for, is not forgiven on our end, it leads to spiritual death. Now, all people will physically die because of sin. One day, all of us, our physical bodies, our hearts will stop beating, all of that. We will physically die, but that's not the real death. There's actually a second death after that, the spiritual death, and that if you don't have Christ in your life to forgive you of your sin, you will die in your sins, and God doesn't want that because God knows, after last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, that because of the fall, we can know the difference of good and evil, right? We ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And because we ate of that, we can know. We can know the difference. We can choose one or the other. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't say this last week, but some, someone asked me later, why did God banish them from the garden? That sounds kind of harsh. Why didn't he somehow make it work, you know, uh, in that situation? Because God, and it says, if you read, keep, keep reading Genesis 3, it says, God says, if, if they eat of the tree of life, the other tree, as they are right now, they will be permanently, eternally uh, in that state. You will be eternally without the ability to be uh, redeemed, right? If you ate of the tree of life, you'll be like a God who will be eternally uh, w- without any ability to ever uh, be forgiven. And so that's why God in his love and his mercy said, They have to get out of the garden, but I'll provide for their needs even though they have fallen from grace. So because we ate of that tree, we can know the difference between the two. Now, you don't have to be a slave to sin. People don't have to do that. You don't, you can choose. You can know what you ought to do and choose rightly. God will help us do that. 
Jesus said in, in John 8, 34, truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So everyone who continues to live a life of sin, you just, you're a slave to it. It's, it's the beat you march to. And some people, it's all they ever know. They continue to live into it. C.S. Lewis said that all people on the face of the earth are either becoming more heavenly or we're becoming more hellish. It's one or the other as human beings as we live on the face of the earth. So all people need forgiveness. All people need to know their sin is atoned for because we can't do it ourselves, can we? Therefore, we need an outside force to come in and help us. An outside, well, not outside, but we need God to step in and help atone for what we can't do ourselves. Now, this is, I thought about this last week, too, with Genesis 3, that um, in many ways, when you start to shame and blame other people around you, you're doing the very thing the Bible says that sinners do. It's sort of like people today that say, Christianity's not real, sin is a myth, it's all made up, uh, it's all just a dusty old book, God is a sky fairy, I've heard all these sort of things, sort of wish fulfillment all that sort of thing. A lot of people would, 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 would believe this. Um, here's what I would say to those people, that you are, you are behaving in the way that the Bible says exactly how you would act, that you're acting exactly how a sinner would act. You're doing the very thing. You're blaming everyone and everything except yourself, just as Adam and Eve did, right? And, and, and you're, you're pushing it off and realizing that Maybe you're the reason that you, you're the one that needs to be atoned for. If that is your belief system and you think that Christianity is a myth and God is made up, you're spiritually blind. You're blind to sin. Sin has, sin has blinded you. You don't see the truth. Now, God will help the scales to fall off and help you see what's true. Because we said last week, sin blinds us to the effects of sin. It deceives us. And until you're apart from it and distance yourself from being disobedient to the will of God, you're never going to see it. But God in his grace will help us get perspective, if you will, and become more aware of it. You know, this past Tuesday, David Adams and I went back to the Guilford County Jail um, for my second ever trip to a jail. And uh, we sat with about seven or eight guys in a room, and they had their hour outside of their cells, and we did a Bible study. And uh, just wonderful guys. I mean, they're just like sponges. I mean, they're so, they're ready to receive anything we had to teach them. And when we, we talked about this, actually, that getting away from sin gives you perspective. And, and you, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it, right? And as I was saying that, they were literally, all of them were nodding their head. They all were like, yes. I don't want to be in this jail, but because I'm here, it has given me perspective. Now that I'm away from all the bad stuff I was doing, all the bad people I was around and all of that, it's helped given me to see that, yes, I was entangled in all of this darkness. And now that I'm here, at least I can, I can have perspective about my own life. See, God's grace helps you recognize your own sin. It's the grace of God that helps us recognize even our guilt and our need for forgiveness. So that's why Paul, in the book of Romans, he's exhorting his audience, leave a life of sin, pursue righteousness, live into the grace of God. Don't go back to the way you were. You're a new people. You've been given a new nature. And so when you hear all of this, you're going to hear a lot of sin talk, but I want to put even more emphasis on the grace talk. 
because that is far greater than the guilt, amen? It truly is that the work of Jesus on our behalf is far greater than the fall of Adam and Eve. So I don't want our focus to be on shame and guilt and I'm a horrible person. Let's put our, let's put our focus on the victory and the freedom that people can have in a relationship with God. So in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12, you see a lot of a theme here of Paul saying, walk in freedom, don't go back to the way you were. You're a new people. So look at verse 12 of Romans 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. I'll stop there real quick. You know, when I was a kid, my uncle had a lake house on Lake Norman, and we would go there for Memorial Day, Labor Day, July 4th, and all of that. And pretty soon I realized that going out on the water is like the Wild West. I mean, there is no law. I mean, there, I mean you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just crazy. And especially on a July 4th weekend, the water is just like choppy. It's all getting, and my uncle had a pontoon boat, you know? And thankfully, he had a bathroom in it. Some people don't. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you know what I mean? But, you know, you get on the water in the holiday weekends and stuff, and it's just wild. And so sometimes we'd have to pull into like a little alcove or something and just kind of get into a calm area and put down like a little anchor. It wasn't nearly big enough to hold us still, but it was something, you know? And so we would get into that little space, and even though you're there, you're, you, you kind of drift still, still, don't you? You kind of still drift. Unless your propeller's moving, you're not going to be going anywhere. You're not going to be heading toward a, a destination. And it reminded me of sort of what Paul is saying is here. You're not going to drift into holiness. It's not going to happen by accident. Like, you're not going to grow in your faith unless you do something about it, right? Like, like, you don't drift, you don't just drift along in our spiritual lives. He's saying, you know, people in our nature, we don't instinctually gravitate toward prayer or obedience. The grace of God will help us to delight in the Lord and all of those things. But if we just, if you think your spiritual life is just drifting along through life, I have other words to say to you today. God doesn't want us to drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. He doesn't want us to drift toward disobedience and label it freedom. Paul's words are like a laser beam. He's saying, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead. You're not, he's not saying, hey, you're a member of the church. No, he's saying, hey, you were dead, and... Now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument for what is right to the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Man, isn't that a great phrase? Sin is no longer your master. It has been paid for. The moment that Jesus died on the cross, your sin was paid for. From that moment to this moment, the very moment you breathe, it has been atoned for. It is, what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. It's finished. So what you do with that is up to you. But God is saying, I am inviting you to step out of a place of guilt and shame and death and come into a place of freedom. I have atoned for your sin. It is finished. Your sin is no longer your master, Paul says, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, to Paul's Jewish audience, a lot of Jewish Christians in Rome at the time, 
This would have been a revolutionary phrase. You no longer live under the law. Because to them, they're like, whoa, that's all we've ever known. Like, that's how we were brought up. What are you talking about? You know, that would be a massive cultural and emotional and intellectual wall to push through for them. But he's saying, look, even Paul would go on in Romans, we'll get into this later, of saying, hey, the law isn't bad. The law actually shows our need for grace. Christ said, I've come, I fulfilled the entirety of the law, Jesus said. So he's not nullifying it necessarily, but he's saying grace is all the greater. The law points to our need for the grace of God. So Paul will go on to write um, in Romans 6, does that mean I get to abuse the freedom I've been given? Does that mean just because you're shown grace, you get just to keep on sinning? Well, Paul would go, of course not. Like, if someone gives you a gift, you don't just keep abusing it to keep getting more of something. That's greedy, really. What Paul keeps saying is, you've you're found freedom. Don't go backward. Move forward. Turn the propeller on. Keep going forward. Don't drift along. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave, he's echoing Jesus here, of whatever you choose to obey? We all march to somebody's beat, don't we? We all answer to somebody or something. We're all trying to please somebody. We're all trying to serve somebody. Obviously, the correct answer is we need to serve Jesus and serve the purposes of God here on the earth. So Paul is saying, don't be a slave to sin. That leads to death, spiritual death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. He's really talking a lot about cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace is the grace that costs you nothing. And I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, Bonhoeffer, a theologian from the 1940s who died in a concentration camp in Germany, an amazing genius, really. And, he's, and Paul's kind of saying, you haven't, been, you haven't been saved by a cheap grace. So don't keep drifting along as if it was, it was given to you cheaply. It costs God everything to save your soul. So live according to that which you have been saved by. And Bonhoeffer kind of elaborates on this. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Let me talk about repentance. Now, we've all seen guys at football games or something on the sides of street corners with the word that says repent or whatever, and it seems like a negative word, but it's really a good word. Repentance is a gift of God given to people. Repentance really means to turn away from or to change your mind, to change the way you think about something. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm a miserable person. It means I'm going to turn away from that which... I know is wrong, and I'm going to step more into the grace of God. So he's saying cheap grace is like, yeah, you're forgiven, but you don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to repent of anything. You don't have to learn from it. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living incarnate. Very appropriate words for every generation, especially this one. So Paul keeps saying, don't keep sinning so that grace will abound. You're abusing the grace of God. He, he's really saying, we're, we need to confess our sin so that grace may abound, right? 
You need to repent so that grace may abound. That grace, the grace of God, is not mere leniency or pardon, getting let off the hook. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more than that. When God loves you and God loves me, he's saying, I'm, I'm with you. I was with you in your sin. I was with you in your jail cell. I was with you in your addiction. I didn't go anywhere. My good, empowering presence of my Holy Spirit never left you. You maybe drifted away. Maybe you did. I didn't go anywhere. That's the grace of God that never lets you go, that will always pursue you. My good, empowering presence. You know, I was sitting on that jail again this week, and one of those guys spoke up and said something remarkable. He said, I am physically imprisoned in this place, but he said, spiritually, I feel more alive than I've ever felt. He said, if you can feel free in a place like this, you can feel free anywhere. I mean, I was like, dude, can you, I was like, you can't come to church, but if you could come to church, could you come to church and preach that? Because that was amazing. And he was like, he was like, sin felt like a continual, my life before was like a continual struggle. Like I was always moving upstream. Like I was always entangled, right? Have you ever felt like that in your life? You just felt entangled by negative people or bad situations or the sin of others or abuse you received or something you did as well. But it felt like an entanglement. Like you're always just moving and it's never easy. There's nothing freeing about anything. He said, that's what it felt like. But let's go back to that mental picture that the freedom of, of the grace of God is like you and I standing in a jail cell and where our hands are on the bars and we can't get out. This is the predicament of humanity. And here's, here's the catch. The, it's locked from the inside. It's locked from the inside. God would open the door in a half second if you give him a chance. But our hands are on the bars. It's locked from the inside. And his hand is reaching through the bars. And he has a key in his hand. It's like Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Open the door to me and I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. That's the mental picture I have for you today. Before we go and have communion. Is that the Lord is standing there. He has a key in his hand. And he's offering it to you. To take and unlock that lock. And open that gate. And choose between the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the grace of God is calling you. That's why you're here today. That's why you're at home listening to this. Is go- the grace of God is calling you. Anytime you ever pray or think, I, re- I need to go to church or I need to do this or that, or read the Bible, that's the grace of God calling you. Because left to ourselves, we do not choose that. Every single time. You are here today because the grace of God helped you. That could have been overt or covert, but it is his mercy drawing you to himself to heal you and to let you know your sin is atoned for. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Like I love what Keith said earlier, you don't leave your Christmas presents under the tree. If I bought you a present and you didn't open it, I'd be offended, wouldn't I? I mean, I, mean, I tend to give good gifts. It wouldn't be an iPod because they don't make those anymore. But I remember those. That was funny, iPods. Yeah, if you don't leave a present under the tree, you open it. And the Lord's table this morning is indeed 
the ultimate gift given for us all. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then Pastor Ken's going to come up. Let's pray. Gracious God, in your mercy, we come before your table and give you thanks. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to set free the captive and to find the oppressed at liberty. Thank you, Lord, that although we are imprisoned in our own cells of sin, your hand reaches through the bars with a key in your hand to give to us, to open that door. So God, as Paul said, we, we give to you our very lives. Don't use our, give, we give to you our very bodies and pray, Jesus, you're glorified. Come, Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.